chapter 9, please. The title of tonight's message is, His Heart Beats for You. We're going to read verses 1 through 6, and then we'll go back and take a look at them. Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. I tell the truth in Christ, I am not lying, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit, that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises, of whom are the fathers, and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, the eternally blessed God. Amen. And just part of verse 6 but it is not that the word of God has taken no effect. And Lord, that is our prayer tonight, that your word would not return void as you promised it, that it would stir our hearts, that we would become less and you would become more. And we just ask this for your glory and in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's just do a quick review. First eight chapters. Basically, very simple. We are all lost. Whether you're Jew or Gentile, you're lost without Jesus Christ. Through faith in him, we're saved. <clears throat> There's no other hope. We saw last time in chapter 8, we were predestined, we were called, we were justified, we were sanctified, we were glorified. And that's just some of the things that Jesus Christ has done for you and I. He will continue to do those things and more for you and I until we meet Him face to face. Now remember, Paul is the author of the book of Romans and he used to hunt down Christians. He killed them. Now, he's sharing the gospel with the very people he used to hunt down. Transformation of a heart. Paul turns his attentions in chapter 9, 10, and 11 to the Jewish nation, to the Israelites. The first eight were pretty much covering both Jews and Gentiles. And all a Gentile is is a non-Jew. That's all that it means. Now, one of the things that touched Paul was he saw the love of those people who were believers. Whether it be Stephen when he witnessed the stoning of Stephen or other Gentiles who had come to the faith. He realized that they had something that he did not have. And it was just like you and I when God puts us in the lives of others that we don't know the effect we're going to have on non-believers. But walking with the Lord we definitely do. And sometimes the Lord brings it back to us. He makes us aware of our impact on those people who don't know him. Paul also, writing the book of Romans, know there's a lot of Jewish people that are bound up and enslaved by the law. 
And we're going to see the heart of not only Jesus Christ in these few verses that we're going to look at tonight. We're going to see the heart of Paul. Today, there is a terrible, terrible thing going on in the churches throughout America, and it's a thing called replacement theology, where they take every place where Israel is mentioned in the Bible and they put in the church. Terrible. It's, it's terrible. It's as if they're saying, well, God, the promises that you made to the Israelites don't matter anymore. You've changed your mind. Well, we're going to see tonight and through the next few chapters that that's not the case. God loves the Jewish nation, the Israelites, as much as he has, ever has. Nothing's ever changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what's going to happen as time goes on and on, people are going to come against the Jewish nation again. They are against it today. They're surrounded by enemies. But... God forbid the church of Jesus Christ turns its back on Israel. That's one thing that you and I can never, ever do. Part of God's ultimate purpose is to fulfill every promise to them that he has ever made. And you're going to see some of those promises tonight. Not all of them, you're going to see some of them. In Psalm 89, verse 3, it says, I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn unto David my servant. My covenant will I not break nor alter the thing that has gone out of my lips. Notice, he's, God himself said he's not going to break that covenant. We see in the first couple of verses that we're going to look at, Paul's passion. Let's take a look at verse 1. I tell the truth in Christ, I am not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit. Think about how many witnesses there are. You might think of more, but some of the ones that I came up with is there's the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's God's word, there's angels, there's others like you. There's my conscience that bears a witness of if what I'm doing is right or if it's wrong. Paul mentions throughout his letters in the New Testament how God is his record and his witness. He needs no other to support him. For he knows things that he does is confirmed by none other than God alone. How great would it be for each one of us to know God's heartbeat? To know without a shadow of a doubt that we are right on with the Lord in all the decisions that we make, all the things that we do, all the places that we go. Or, you know, just everything. God's approval is right there. It can happen as you draw closer to the Lord. Verse 2. That I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. 
Throughout the scripture, we see men and women who have the joy of the Lord, but they have a passion for the lost and to raise the lost into the things of God. We call it discipleship. To have the joy of the Lord, but to have a passion for the lost. And think of Paul right now. I don't know your knowledge of him, but just his life. His life and into his death is for nothing else than the glory of Jesus Christ. In Psalm 119, 136, it says, Rivers of water run down my eyes because they keep not thy law. We see in the New Testament the heart of God in Paul, the apostle. Who comes to your mind in the Old Testament? To me, it was Moses. His heart for the people, for the lost. They were both willing to lay down their life for a friend and an enemy. There were a lot of people in Moses' group, a couple million, that he didn't know. A lot of them were complainers, right? They wanted to go back to Egypt. How many were truly Moses' friends? Imagine that. Some wanted to throw him out and get another leader. Pray that Jesus gives you and me that same heart that a Moses had for the people and that Paul had for the people. Verse 3, For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. Another word for that countryman is relatives. In Exodus 32, it talks about, Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book which you have written. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments, the people were having a spiritual orgy to a false god. Sexual practices were going on. It was crazy. Loud music. Moses threw down the commandments. And after reprimanding that group, he went back up the mountain. And God proposed to Moses the following. Let me wipe out all the people. I'm going to wipe out all the people. And from your seed will start a new nation. And Moses made that statement I just read. And I'll read it again. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book, which you have written. Can you imagine that? The same thing that Paul is saying about his relatives, his friends, the Israelite nation. That he would rather be separated, cut off, destroyed, sent to hell, if it would mean the Israelite salvation. Think of the intensity of the heart of Moses and Paul to do that. 
And then the question I had to ask myself is, do I have that same passion to the lost? And ashamedly, I can tell you no. But that should be a prayer of mine, and it is, that I would have the heart of Jesus that was reflected in both Moses and in Paul, the apostle. We'll see in a couple teachings, Romans 10.1, it says, Paul's heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. So we know his purpose. We know his desire. He wanted salvation. Now, wasn't it cool that the very people that God, um, Paul was persecuting, the Gentiles, were the people that God wanted him to minister to? Interesting, huh? So what that tells me is, who are those people in my life that are tough to deal with? Could be an enemy or it could just be somebody just rubs you the wrong way. But that might be the very person God wants you to pray for and minister to in any way possible. In Deuteronomy 21:23, it says, His body shall not remain all night upon the tree, but thou shalt in any wise bury him that day, for he that is hanged is accursed of God, that the, the land might not be defiled, which the Lord thy God has given you for an inheritance. And then, to maybe help you understand that a little more in Galatians 3.10 and 13, it says, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in the things that are written in the book of the law to do. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, so that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. Now, we saw Moses and Paul both wanted to be cut off. They wanted to be accursed. They wanted to be sent to hell if it meant that their people that they loved would be saved. The only problem with that is, like you and I, they were sinners too. So by them being killed or sent to hell, doesn't matter. There had to be somebody that wasn't a sinner that would die and be cut off for us. And we know the good news is that's Jesus Christ. The innocent Lamb of God who takes away our sin and He died on a tree and He became a curse for us. He became sin for us. He became salvation for us. How often do we take that for granted? How often? It's unbelievable. What I want you to do right now is think of somebody, a friend, an enemy, somebody that rubs you the wrong way, that doesn't know Jesus Christ. Date it. And lift that person up in prayer. And next to the date, put in a line that you're going to fill in the date when they do come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior.
Let's take a minute to do that. Somebody that's in your realm, sphere of influence, could be a family member, could be a work coworker. Lord, before we go on, I just want to lift up whoever this person is that you've put on the hearts of people here. Lord, we pray that you bind the enemy, that you open up avenues of influence, whether it be by these dear people or someone that you send into the lives of that person. I think of my athletic director, Ed, a dear friend for over 30 years. I just pray that this summer he would come to know you as his Lord and Savior and be an influence in his family. We know that Satan wants nothing more than to destroy his life and the lives of the people that you're thinking of out there. So we pray, Lord, that you would be glorified and that salvation would come into the lives of these dear people. In Jesus' name we pray. Verse 4. Who are Israelites to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises? Notice Paul's specific des designation in verse 4, he goes right with the Israelites first. In Isaiah 51, verses 1 and 2, it says, Listen to me, you who follow after righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn, and to the hole of the pit from which you were dug. Look to Abraham your father and to Sarah who bore you. For I called him alone. And blessed him. In Deuteronomy 7, 6, it says, for, the, for thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself, above all people that are upon the face of the earth. Now, whether we Gentiles like it or not, if we have a difficult time understanding this, from one Gentile to another. Get over it. <laughs> Drop it. He has chosen the Israelites to be his chosen people. They have done over the centuries a tremendous job in keeping the book, the Bible, the way it was given to them. They had the discipline the vision, the focus to do that. And we see through some of the things we're going to see in verse 4, how fabulous was God's choice. In Isaiah 41.8 it says, But thou, Israel, art my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham, my friend. Remember, Abraham's son was Isaac. 
Okay? Isaac's son was Jacob, who became Israel. That's where the descendants came down. So God picked this man, Abraham. Chose him to be the one through his lineage to be the modern day Israelites today. And make no mistake about it, Satan knows that. He has a better grasp of Scripture than you and I do. And it's no coincidence that throughout history, the most persecuted people in the world have been the dear Jewish people. You and I can never forget what God has promised and what he wants to continue to do. In Genesis 12, 1 to 3, it says, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now think about Satan's plan and how he coats it in a nice package of something called replacement theology. It's totally contrary to God's word. Satan thought back when the Jewish nation was dispersed throughout the whole world, just before 100 A.D., when the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D., and persecution came heavy on the Jewish people and they were scattered. He thought he destroyed the nation. Never to be seen again. No nation that was ever destroyed ever came back. But guess what? A lot of us were either born or going to be born within the next 10 years that in 1948, Israel was declared a nation again. A prophecy fulfilled. God proven once again in the annals of history that he means what he says. He hasn't changed anything and he will not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let's take a look at adoption in verse 4. Looked up the biblical usage of the word adoption. One is an adoption as sons. Footnote on that, it's a relationship which God was pleased to establish between himself and the Israelites in preference to all other nations. Again, choosing Israel, the nation Israel, over all the other nations that were in existence at the time. Nothing special about choosing Israel. He could have chosen another nation. But God can choose whoever he wants. Amen? Whatever he wants to do, he can do. He's God. Who are we to argue with his choices? He's God. He's supreme. He's sovereign. All-knowing, all-loving, all-justice. He's got his act together. I don't. I know many of you. You don't. I say that in love. 
Another use of adoption, the nature and condition of the true disciples in Christ who by receiving the Spirit of God into their souls become sons of God. That's you and me. We've been adopted. Marie and I have been privileged, as many of you know, to have an adopted child. She's our daughter. There's no difference than if she was birthed by Maria. She's our daughter. We love her. There was a spiritual union that God made. How much more the adoption of you once you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And then another use of adoption, the blessed state looked for in the future life after the visible return of Christ from heaven. When you and I will really understand and the adoption will be complete. We'll be home. We'll be in our new home. When we were adopting, going through the process with Ashley, she went back and forth. She came with us on weekends until we had power of attorney. But when the final judgment came, and she was no longer Ashley Rose Hart, but she was Ashley Rose Whitehead, and she came home for good. It was a great day. Great day. And we celebrate her adopted birthday as if it was her. We, we celebrate her biological birthday, but we also celebrate her adopted birthday. It's pretty cool. The kids got two birthdays. <laughs> Can't beat that. The next word we want to look at in verse 4 is the glory. The glory speaks of God's presence, His Shekinah glory. The visible cloud of glory showing God's presence among His people. You might have remembered it. Remember the protective covering in the desert. During the scorching sun, it would be a cloud. And at night, when it got a little chilly and it was dark, it was a fire to warm them up and to light the way. There was also His glory over the mercy seat where God Himself dwelt. And the blood of the sacrificial lamb would be spread in His presence. At the birth of Jesus, the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with fear. There'll be glory at His second coming. We see His glory when people come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Or when He speaks to you through His Word, there's, there's part of that glory being shown. The next thing we're going to look at in verse 4 is the covenants. And Paul, if you want to put the map up there, that would be great. In Genesis 15, 17-18, it says, On the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. Now if you look on the map, to the left where it says Egypt, that's the Nile River. And when you look all the way over to the right, that red line, that's the Euphrates River. That was the land that God promised Abram or Abraham. 
If you look right above the eye in Israel, there's a little white section. That's where they are. That's all they have. Guess what? God made a promise. God will fulfill his promise that one day their borders will be expanded. Right now, there's a question is, will there be peace in Israel? Or there are peace talks. But I think the peace talks that are going on right now are P-I-E-C-E. We want another piece of Israel, and then we'll talk about P-E-A-C-E. Well, God's already said in his word what their land is. Let's see who wins. Let's see who wins. In Luke uh, 1, 71 and 72, it says, To perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. Notice tonight a few times the word promise. How many times God is promising this? Not in one verse, in several verses. He is driving a point home here. Acts 3, 24 and 25 says, You are the son of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All the families of the earth shall be blessed through Israel. Psalm 89, 3. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn unto David my servant. My covenant will I not break nor alter the thing that has gone out of my lips. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem, but pray for the leaders in Israel to be godly men who take a stand for the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In Hebrews 8, 6 to 10, it talks about a better covenant, a new covenant, and we know it as Jesus Christ's death on the cross. The Old Covenant was the law that we saw in the first few chapters of Romans. The New Covenant is the death of Jesus and his resurrection, and we put our faith in what Jesus did, not in the works of the law that you and I couldn't keep, but it's in what Jesus did. The finished work of Christ at the cross is what our faith is in. Part of that verse of Hebrews Verses 9 and 10 says, Not according to the covenant that I made with the fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and they didn't regard the laws, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people." These are things that are still going to happen to the people in Israel. But praise God, we have people right here in this church that are completed Jews. 
they have received and recognized their Messiah. The Messiah that was talked about in the Old Testament. The Messiah that was revealed in the New Testament. Praise God for those Jewish people who God has opened up their eyes. He has started the process of bringing that nation to full repentance and acceptance of Him as their Savior and Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Let's look at the word giving in verse 4. What was given? Well, we get the law through the Israeli nation. We get the Ten Commandments. Praise God. For as we saw, without the law, we don't have any knowledge of our sin. The law was a tutor that led us to Jesus Christ. How awesome is that? Given us right judgments. Given us the Sabbath. Given us ways to live. Moral conduct. Given us His Word. Praise God for His Word. Heaven and earth will pass away. But His Word will never. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. It's awesome. In John 1.17 it says, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Let's look at the service. What service? Well, do a study sometimes of the various Jew Jewish feasts and see what their uh, meaning is for you and I. That in the Jewish feast, Jesus Christ is wrapped right in the center of it. Those Jewish feasts that you hear about or maybe have a day off for during work or school, let those days that you're off help you to remember that it was the Jewish nation that God chose as the apple of their eye. And those feasts are the very things that show us Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus. Let's look at the promises. Acts 3.25 and 26 says, Ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, And in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Unto you first God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. And then again in Acts, we have Acts 2.39. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. You see, Jesus' promise wasn't only to the Jewish people. It was to you and to me. He wasn't exclusive. 
Let's look at Romans 9.5. Of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all the eternally blessed God. Now, when you see it says, of whom are the fathers, they're referring to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God is never attached as the father of anybody else. He's our father through adoption, but through the nation Israel, he's the father of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. It started there. According to the flesh, Jesus became bone of their bone and flesh of their flesh. You ever think of that? He came through the Jewish line through the tribe of Judah. Think of that. He became a Jew. Hmm. Think of history again and how the Jewish nation, the Jewish people have been persecuted. Why them? Well, we know. Satan hates them. Can't stand them. Wants to still destroy them to this day. You don't see New Jersey surrounded by all the nations that you see or saw up there. He chose a young teenage girl named Mary as a vehicle to be born through. He was truly God, but he was truly man. God's seed inside the womb of a human girl. Tremendous. Tremendous miracle. Notice in verse 5, don't skim over that, where it says, Christ came who is over all, the eternally blessed God. It's calling Christ God there. The Messiah is God. Don't ever let anybody tell you it doesn't say that he's God. This is just one of many places. Romans 9, 6. But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect. And we'll get into this more next time. But the reason I included this is everything that we're looking at. Remember, Paul is crying out. He's crying out to the point that he can't even finish his statement about being a curse and that I'd be cut off for my friends, my relatives. His heart is breaking because he realizes that all the things we looked at tonight came through the nation Israel, but yet they're blind. There's blinders on them. So people might say, well, the Word of God probably doesn't have any effect on them, or that doesn't have any effect. They're not changing. They're still rebelling against God. A lot of Jewish people today are agnostics or atheists. Think about it. But there's going to come a day that God 
will and is right now getting their attention. Understand, there's a lot of Jews that are being completed. They're, they're receiving Jesus as their Lord and Savior. We don't see them in like thousands and hundreds of thousands, but it is taking place. Just like there's Muslims that are dreaming dreams and having visions in lands where they don't allow the gospel to be preached. But see, that doesn't stop God. It doesn't stop God. He can use you and me to spread the gospel, but he can spread it. He chooses to use you and I. But there are Muslims that are coming to know him as Lord and Savior too. So pray for the Jewish nation. Pray for all the Muslims that they would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Numbers 23.19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and he will not do it? Or has he spoken, and he will not make it good? We know the answer to all these kind of questions. And the last verse I'd like to share with you is Isaiah 55.11. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. God is awesome. What you read will happen. Might not make sense to you. Might not line up with what the papers are showing you or the uh, TV is showing you. But remember, it all works out in the end. And I want to finish with this little object lesson. And I don't know if you'll all see it. Can you see it? Jack, can you see it? Yeah. What is it, Jack? Yeah. Who is that? Yeah. Chase. All right, well, let me end with a quick story. Last week, and I'll share with it this Sunday about the Fellowship of Christian Athletes camp. But we're driving home with uh, four teenagers in the car Friday afternoon at 1 o'clock. Everything was great. All of a sudden, there was a rumbling in the lower part of my stomach. It wasn't a good rumbling. But I was hungry, and so were the kids, and we stopped at a subway, and we ordered a nice foot-long sub, all of us. Mine was, was turkey, pepperoni, onions, <laughs> lettuce, tomato, oil and vinegar, salt, pepper, oregano, and a large cherry Coke. We brought it in the car. We still had about an hour and a half left. Tasted good. Everything was good. Little did I know, the volcano that was erupting inside this frail body. But we had some tickets to Trenton Thunder Stadium. Game, 7 o'clock. I had to drop off the kids. I had to go home, take care of the animals. I had to jump in the shower, and I had to leave my house by 4.15 to meet Christine and Jack at Trend and Thunder because the first 2,000 people, right, Jack? Yeah. Got a bobblehead doll of Chase, the bat dog. Now, what the bat dog does is when a person's up and swings and drops a bat and runs to first, 
Chase will come over, grab the bat between his teeth and drop, go back to the dugout and sit down and wait for the next bat to fall. But Chase was it's a special day. Chase was retiring after that game that night. It was his last game. So I get home, and I'm not feeling too good. Needless to say, I lost a lot of stuff that was in me that time I was home. Well, I drove an hour and a half to Trent and Thunder. Didn't feel too good. Got to the stadium, found out where we were sitting. We had ordered the tickets a few weeks ago. Saw Jack and Christine. Went up to Christine. I said, Christine, I don't feel too hot. She goes, you want a bottle of water? I said, no, I got to go. <laughs> so I went, literally, I went to the bathroom. And that's when I started vomiting. Okay, about four times. And I said, I can't go back to the seat. We were there an hour before the game. So I sat in the first day for about an hour, just resting, legs up, trying to feel better, cooling off from a busy week. I go out, top of the first inning, watch about three batters. Jack and I went to get something to eat. I needed a Coke, maybe that would settle my stomach. Didn't, said I gotta go. Back to the first aid. Make a long story short, we go to Trenton Hospital. Maria meets us, me there, or us there. 8, a, uh, 8 p.m. to 3 a.m. Some friends from here came to be with me during that time. Go home. About four hours later, the whole series of the vomiting and everything continues. Go to Riverview Hospital all day Saturday, all day Sunday, all day Monday, get released Monday night. Vinny, what's the point? Maria's going, what's the point? Where are you going with this? <laughs> the point is this. I had a passion. Passion was to be with two of my friends, Christine and Jack. Wanted to get a bobblehead doll. Because uh, a few years ago, Ashley, the girl, that's our adopted girl, that's our daughter now, we went to a Trent and Thunder game to see Derek Jeter's rehab. And she goes, hey, Dad, look at that dog. We had never seen him before. And here's this dog trotting to get the bat. So I want to send Chase down to Ashley, who's living down in South Carolina. But the point, passion. There was a passion, no matter what was going on in my life, to get to Trent and Thunder Stadium, to be with Jack, Christine, and to get a bobblehead dog. Pray. And I have the same passion for the lost, no matter how I feel. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I pray for all my dear friends here that you would just pour out your Holy Spirit on us, Lord, and give us a conviction that you had when you left your throne room of grace to come down here through a young teenage girl to be born in the flesh through the Jewish race, to live here on this earth for 33 years, Lord. You gave up the splendor and the majesty of heaven with the millions and billions of angels singing praise to you. Lord, give us the passion that you have 
for the lost still to this day. That you are delaying your coming so that no one living on this earth would be lost. Jesus, we lift up right now that we would have that passion. That we would pray for that person that you put on our hearts. And that you would put others, Lord, on our heart and give us the courage and the anointing of your spirit to pray and act in a manner worthy of leading that person into your house. And let us be like a Moses and Paul, realizing that we are frail, that we are sinners, that we do make mistakes, we do blow it. But in spite of all that, Lord, you choose to use us. Let us chase hard after you. Fill us, Lord, tonight. And let us never, ever be the same again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.